Welcome to the Men of Magic, an interview podcast that gets into the lives of your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. With your host, Robert Martin, and now the Men of Magic begins. Welcome to another episode of the Men of Magic. After taking a week off last week, back and I will steal a phrase better than ever. This week I'm with Level 2 Judge, a person who now is part of Sarah's Angels, assists us on Mana Screwed, and has put herself into numerous different things, stepping. Judges have a tendency of staying in the shadows. Well, it's nice to see that some of the judges are stepping out of the shadows and making themselves more personal and giving judges good name. Also, a person who's very enthusiastic about the judge program, Charlotte Sable. Hello. Hey. Well, let's first go there. You wanted to be a judge. Why? Well, hard to sort of put into a short little thing, but I mean, I've been playing Magic a long time. I started back just before Fallen Empires came out, and I played, you know, casually as, you know, a kid until probably just after Tempest came out. Then I was took, took some time off from the game just because, you know, life gets in the way. But, I mean, I was still always interested in it. I, you know, dipped my toe in around, you know, legions and, you know, just sort of interested. I mean, I knew that, that, that the uh, card face had changed at Mirrodin and whatever, but I only really got back into the game around Time Spiral. Uh, but when I got back into the game, I there wasn't really much of a local community in my area. Mm. So I basically did the next best thing. I had a friend who had been basically in the same sort of situation, and he'd gotten back in in on Magic Online. And so uh, I got into Magic Online. I was did This was about the time that, like, Cold Snap... Well, no, I mean, this was, again, Time Spiral era, but um, I, my friend was into Cold Snap, so... I got into, you know, playing, like, Cold Snap Leagues and just leagues in general on Magic Online. And I don't know. I've always had sort of a mathematical brain. So just seeing how the rules worked got me sort of really interested in that aspect of the game. And then one thing led to another, and I decided to, you know, I mean, my, my interest in the rules just kept growing and growing. And eventually it's like, you know, screw it. I'm going to try and be a judge. Now, you had mentioned recently that the qualifications to be a judge has changed from the way it used to be. Uh, How difficult was it to become from level zero to level one to level two? Well, it's, I mean, it's it's interesting because, I mean, my path to uh, judgedom was far, far, far from the the usual one. Like, I mean, honestly... uh, like, most people, you know, they, they become a judge because, okay, they, they play the game, and in their store, they're, you know, they're, they're the rules guy or the rules girl or whatever, and they go, you know, they're the pe- one that people go to, whereas, in my case, honestly, like I said, I got back into things more seriously with Magic Online, and, you know, honestly, it, one of the main reasons I actually attended my first actual sanctioned event was so that I could get a DCI number so that I could go and do the rules advisor test online. Like, I know that that's incredibly rules nerdy of me, but (laughs) whatever, it is what it is. But, um, I mean, basically, like, what it... (sighs) I mean, again, I'm very atypical when it comes to how I became a judge and all of that. Like, 
the process of getting from level one to level two is a significant jump. And it requires a lot more responsibility on your end. Um, also, there is a the difficult of challenging to pass that is not as easy as you would think. What was that like for you to get from level one to level two? Um, it was actually relatively difficult. I mean, again, I'd, I like I said, I've always had sort of a mathematical brain on me. So you know, learning the rules and you know, learning. Even learning the basics of the policy wasn't all that difficult. Like, um, again, uh, like getting to level one, I mean, not that I didn't have to study and I didn't work hard to get there, obviously, but, um, like, sorry, I keep saying like too much. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, okay, sorry, let me start that over. Okay. Um, the process, I mean... Getting to level one was relatively easy for me once I actually, you know, plucked up some courage and decided to go for it. Like, I I got my level one at Canadian Nationals 2009. Um, I'd originally planned on volunteering to help the whole weekend, but uh, life got in the way, and so I could only come on the Sunday. Um, when I walked into Nationals, honestly, the biggest event I'd ever been to at that point was like a, a 50-person pre-release. Uh, never even seen a PTQ, let alone, you know, played in one or judged at one, you know. Uh, but yet, there I go. I walk into day two of Nationals 2009. Um, you know, I guess I just took to it like a fish to water, and I, you know... By the end of the day, I was certified as a level one judge. Not that you know I didn't didn't take a lot of work to get me to that point, or not that I mean there were a hell of a lot of people, you know, that helped me out a ton that day, and without whom I probably wouldn't have certified that day. But you know, in general, I mean, it was it was in the scope of things, it was not exactly the most difficult day I've had in judging. I mean, getting from level one to level two, it's not just as easy as you know, oh, I want to be level two now. No, it, it, it's a lot more than just, uh, I don't know, a good way to put it is, anyway, okay, but getting from level one to level two, um, that was a lot more difficult for me because mostly I just had the wrong idea about what level two is. I mean, level one, a level one judge, at least, you know, a level one judge basically means you know your rules, you know your policy, you know, you can work an event and you're just, you know, there to be a body and keep things running. You know, you, you do, you, you're, I mean, you're still basically mostly being told what to do, where to be, but, you know, you, you, you can function with, you know, a small degree of autonomy. You know, basically we can trust you to be on the floor and be a judge. Level two means we can trust you to be on the floor and, you know, help coordinate other judges and, for me, I mean, I've never necessarily—I've never been the most confident of people, which is, I guess, sort of funny considering how much I'm putting myself out there on podcasts and everything these days. But in general, um, I mean, I—it took a lot to get me. I mean, it took a lot to get me even to get into judging. Like, I've been really interested in the rules. Like, like I said, I—I attended I my first sanctioned, you know. DCI event to get my DCI number so that I could write the rules advisor test and you know and then it, yeah it was still like you know 
most of a year before I actually managed to get myself out to, you know, work an event to judge. So even more than a year, maybe. I'm not sure. But, yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never been the most confident of people, or at least that's history. Um, but anyway. Uh, but, I mean, so, I mean, for me, like, the, the rules come pretty easy. The policy, once I got, you know, the hang of it, I came, it's come relatively easy, though, again, it's still, obviously, it all takes a lot of work, and I'm not saying that, you know, just because something's easy for someone doesn't mean it's, there's no effort required to learn it, obviously. Um, but anyway, but, um, I mean, other things haven't come quite as easy, such as, you know, leadership skills and, you know, some interpersonal skills and, you know, uh, what one higher-level judge that I've worked with calls the intangibles, basically, like, able to uh, not only be confident, but to project confidence and inspire confidence in others, ability to, you know, again, I mean, it's, it's all part of that. It's just part of making people, basically being able to inspire people to do a good job and to do what you want them to do without necessarily having to, you know, explain in 17 steps what you want them to do. That's the part of things that came a lot harder for me. I first met you. Uh, you were at Grand Prix Toronto, and I had driven the 12 hours from Wisconsin up there, and you were all over the place. You were everywhere. <laughs> you were everywhere and anywhere. And I was able to talk to uh, Ricky Hayashi a little bit, mm -hmm. just for a little bit. He talked about how certain judges and things like that do different things to help out, and everybody has a role and a position to make things better. Right. Who have been some of the people that you have worked with on a larger scale that have been influences on you, that have helped you choose and go the direction you want to go? As a judge? Yeah. Or, well, obviously I owe, I owe a hell of a lot. Like, I owe basically, well, not, not everything, but I owe a hell of a lot in... My judging career to uh, Edwin Zhang, who is not only the judge who you know certified me for level one, but he's uh, well, he got level three. Jeez, uh, I can't even remember if it was. I think it was. Oh God, I don't remember if it was at Paris this year or if it was at Worlds the end of last year. I honestly don't remember. Um, but anyway, it was relatively recently. But, I mean, he, he's just been a huge influence on me, and he's just a great, hardworking judge. And, I mean, he's regional coordinator for China, you know, for the judges in China, if that tells you anything. Especially when he was doing it while living in Canada. He's now back over in China for at least a semi-permanent basis. But anyway, he, he's, he's been a huge influence, and obviously the first person I have to give a big shout-out to. Um, as for other people who have been influences, I mean, again, I haven't really had a chance to work closely with that many other people, but, jeez, um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of local judges I could name, but uh, if I'm going to name judges that... You know, people might have heard of. Um, let's see. I mean, basically, I mean, for, at the few big events that I have worked, uh, I mean, certainly there. Rick, well, you talked about Ricky. Ricky has. I guess he's been an influence. I don't know if I necessarily. 
call him an influence, but, I mean, because he was, you know, a more well-known judge, I sort of glommed onto him when I uh, sort of got myself going on IRC. Like, a lot of the judges on IRC, like, um, well, I don't know. Uh, like, IRC is a big sort of hangout spot for at least a certain segment of judges, and, you know, I sort of attached myself rather firmly to that as soon as I got certified and found out about it. You guys have a community that you work with to uh, help help each other, you know, with questions or things? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there, there, there's a reason that uh, the website where we, like, where judges go to, like, apply to work events is called DCI Family. Because, I mean, the judge community is really, it's a family. It's, like, a second or third or however we want to count it, family. And, you know, the best, I mean, you know, Judging itself is pretty fun, and, you know, getting foils and compensation and going to events and neat places is a lot of fun. But honestly, I wouldn't do any of that stuff if it wasn't for the amazing, amazing people, both in the judge program and otherwise in the magic community that being a judge and being involved with this game lets me experience, right? Why is it that you guys are so tight as, as a group? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, like, and this comes up on IRC and at events and everything, and it's like, you know, why, I mean, like, even even other judges I talk to, I mean, I, I've, other judges I know, you know, volunteer with other sports and other activities and even other games, but, you know, the, the thing I hear from everyone is that nothing is quite the way that the judge community is in Magic. I think it might just be the fact that this game is so complex and so intricate and just so what it is that it just attracts, that the sort of person that it attracts to sort of coordinate and judge it. I mean, it's hard to put into words, but it's just... I think it takes a certain type to be a judge. And that type is just sort of, I guess, naturally drawn to others of that type. So I guess we just sort of stay other is basically the best way to put it. I don't know. I mean, we, I mean, no, you become a judge because at some level you love this game. And, you know, I, it's just, Again, it's it's very hard to put into words, right? It's just, for the love of the game is probably the best way that I can put it. And, you know, it's just, we all love this game. And there's also something just irrational about being a judge in a way. Because, I mean, you go, you go, like, let, let's, take, let's take a Grand Prix, right? Uh, you go, you travel for, you know, God knows how many hours to some strange city, you know, you are on your feet working for, you know, three days, you know, three 14-hour days. Um, you know, it's hard, grueling work. You're exhausted at the end of the time. And yet, you know, I mean, in, in, in the moment, okay, you're having an all right time, but, I mean, you're busy, you're running off your feet, you're tired. But you're having fun, but yet, you know, after it, you look back on it, and it's like, oh, my God, that was such a blast. And yet, you know, if you looked at it through a different lens, you know, it 
its long, grueling days for less than the equivalent of minimum wage, you know, basically doing something where you're helping other people have fun, but you're not necessarily visibly having fun yourself, even though you are, and yet somehow it, it's just rewarding and fun and just exhilarating in its own way. What has been the most difficult situation as a judge you have been in because of a player or a situation? Like, what's the most difficult? Honestly, I, I, I guess I'm lucky in that I haven't had to really deal solo with any really, really belligerent players. But, I mean, probably the most difficult situation I've ever been in as a judge uh, was the first time I had to disqualify someone. What was, was it for? I was judging a Grand Prix trial leading up to Grand Prix Toronto. Um, so it was, it was uh, what was it? It was, uh, I guess... It was a sealed event. That, that yeah, it was time. sealed. So it was M11 sealed. Um, you know, it store GPT. Um, you know, I mean, again, the thing with Grand Prix Trials is you're dealing with players who prob- a lot of them probably haven't played at competitive rules of enforcement events or whatever. Anyway, so the situation that came up was... You know, I mean, this was one of my first times running a Grand Prix trial, and it just, a player ended up with more cards in his sealed pool than he should have had, right? Mm. Which is obviously a sticky situation, but again, I mean, part of this being a difficult situation is that it boiled down to I was inexperienced and... And handle it in a timely enough manner. But anyway, I, I, I sort of hemmed and hawed. I found out about this as I was checking deck lists because he'd read cards as being played that weren't registered as being in his pool, etc. Et right? Because you do you do you register your pool and you swap and then you build, right? Um, but anyway, um, but I sort of hemmed and hawed for a few rounds. I was trying to figure out what was going on. I talked to the player who registered the pool. I talked to the guy who was playing the pool, and, you know, I didn't have any, I mean, I I didn't know for a fact that the guy, you know, was cheating, that he'd added cards or anything, but I also just couldn't let it go on for as long as it did, and, you know, it was just, it was just really harrowing, and in the end, I ended up disqualifying the guy that, I mean... Honestly, I, I, I admit fully that I mishandled the situation, but, I mean, it was just really rough because, you know, I ended up having to go to the guy and, like, you know, tell him, look, unfortunately, I'm going to have to disqualify you, you know. It, 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 I mean, disqualifying someone, even if it's a really, really clear-cut situation, I mean, unless it's a situation where there's, like, an obvious bad guy, I mean, you know, it's never easy to disqualify someone, but... It's also never, you know, especially, but I mean, you don't want your first time to be a situation where it's not clear cut, where you're not sure if someone's actually legitimately cheating or trying to cheat or, you know, legitimately intentionally breaking a rule, right? But, and then, you know, when it, when you, you know, when in retrospect you, you think about it and realize, gee, you know, this is, this is partially, you know, my fault for how I handled it, that's, you know, even worse, but, you know, that that's probably the, the, the 
toughest situation. Um, at least as it relates to judging. I mean, actual on the floor judging. What has been the best part of being a judge? Best part of being a judge, like I said, the the, the family, the the people, the other judges, like being. Hard to say. Um, I mean, like it, it's basically it is. It's just the people you meet, the people you talk to, the people you get to, you know, add to your life. Basically, you know, like like the judge program again. Just because it takes such a unique sort of type of person to be a judge and want to be a judge, especially at a higher level. I mean, not that. You know, I mean, there, there's lots of there's lots of judges out there that judge at their local stores, and that's wonderful and fantastic. But I mean, there's also I mean, I mean, a lot of those judges don't want to do more than judge at the local store, which again is fine and wonderful, and we need people that are doing that. But I mean, what it takes to make a judge that wants to reach out and either just you know be a part of the bigger judge community or come to the bigger events and work at the bigger events with people it it's just there's an energy and um like a fire and a passion and it's just it's just contagious you just you go to a big event and you just can't help but be sort of on a high when you're judging it just because you're there with people that have similar interests and yet have different interests and you know it's just it's just there, again, there's camaraderie. There's it's a it's a family, and these people are amazing, and you get to know these all these amazing people. It's just again, it, I wish there was a better way to put it into words. But you talked about how you guys submit for like applications events. for events, yeah, like bigger events, like GPs and PTs and everything. Yeah. Do you know how they select who goes? Um. Well, honestly, it's basically you get out what you put in to the program, basically. Um, I mean, obviously, there's considerations made for, you know, if someone's in an area where there aren't many judges and there aren't big events and whatever, then, you know, more of an effort's going to be made to try and get them to be able to come out to some bigger events to can get that experience and take it back to their area and just sort of feel more a part of things. But, I mean, in general to be selected for, you know, the staff of a bigger event, you know, the, the best things you can do as a judge to get yourself noticed for that is, again, to be a part of the family, be a part of the community, you know, be a part of your local community, write reviews of other judges after other events, you know. I mean, a huge part of the judge program is, you know, feedback and helping other judges improve, you know. Like, I mean, we're all in this together, and we all want everyone to be as awesome as they can be. So if if judges aren't, you know, if we're not helping each other improve, then what's the point, right? Like, again, we're a family. A family wants the, the family to prosper together, right? But it describes the way you're describing it. It does not happen. No, that that is absolutely not the attitude of anyone I have ever met in the judge program. I mean, you know, I, I'll admit to have, you know, right after I got level two or when I was trying to get to, to, to having those feelings about other people who were getting to level two or who, you know, whatever. But, I mean, 
again, once you're actually, you know, once you actually get past level one in the program, basically, I mean, you get sort of a longer view of things and you realize that, you know, it's not a competition. It's not, you know, it's not a race. It's, it's, we want other people to succeed because if there are, you know, awesome judges everywhere, then they will make more awesome judges, and then there will be more awesome people to get to know, and more awesome people to work with at events, and more awesome people that can help grow the game, which make more awesome events for more awesome judges to go to, which make for more awesome judges, and it all just cascades, right? Do you know the history of judging? Uh, Honestly, I'm not... I really don't know too much about, about it too much farther back from... I mean, I know vaguely about, like... I mean, judging is always changing. Like, the the documents that we have today are not even all that close to what there was when I started, like, less than two years ago as a judge. But, I mean, I don't know the the long history in, like, grueling detail. I mean, I I know bits of it, but I don't know any particular parts. Okay, the quote, dark ages of magic, when cheating was basically, if you weren't cheating, you weren't trying? Right. I've I've heard about that, but I really don't know what judging was like back then, honestly. What, if you were interested in being a judge, what is the first steps you have to do to become a judge? Uh, well, the first steps to becoming a judge, hopefully you're already taking them if you're actually interested. I mean, if you're interested in becoming a judge, we would hope that the interested person, you know, A, is playing in events in their local store or local community. Um, you know, we'd hope that they're sort of the go-to person or one of the go-to people for rules questions or policy questions or, you know, or maybe they're helping to run the events, you know, maybe they're calling up rings, whatever. Um but, I mean, even if not, you know, the, the first step is to be involved in your community, right? To be involved with, with the players in your area, you know, be a presence. Um, and then, you know, assuming you have a group that you're playing with, I mean, and the next... Sorry, it's just, again, there's, there's lots of little parts, obviously. I mean, there's the social part, there's the knowledge part. Um, the knowledge part, if if you think you want to be a judge, if you think you have what it takes, I mean, a good first step is, you know, go on to the Judge Center, which is at uh, judge.wizards.com, uh, log in with your DCI number and your password, same, way, same place you go to check your rating or, you know, use the event finder, that sort of stuff, right? Um, and at the Judge Center, you can take practice tests. You can take the, you know, once you've taken some practice tests, you can take the Rules Advisor test, which is a really good test of, you know, see where your knowledge is at on rules and a little bit of policy. Um, if you're not familiar with the rules and policy, obviously a good place to start is to download them, start reading rules columns, that sort of stuff. But, I mean, assuming you have the knowledge that it takes, you know, good step is be involved in your community. If you think you have what it takes, get in contact with your a, a judge in your area. If you don't know where there's a judge in the area, you can, on the Judge Center, Judge Center, once you log in, 
on the splash page, there's a, I mean, it has different lines, but there's one that says people, and then there's a link that says your community, and if you click on that, it will show you a list of judges in your state or province or basically region, depending on, you know, where you live. Um, but I mean, if you're in Canada or the U.S., it'll show it based on, in your state or province. Um and then once you're in there, see if you can find a judge that's in your city or town or nearby. And, you know, ideally you want to contact a level two or higher judge because they're the ones that can test judges for level one. Um, and then through the judge center, you can actually send them a message and get in touch and hopefully find that. And if that's not working, uh, if anyone who's interested in judging can... They can always get in touch with me. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I have email. Uh, I guess I can cover those at the end. But, yeah, if all those fails, you can get in touch with me, and I can help put you in touch with whoever you need to get in touch with. Uh, and that's a great first step. Hopefully, whoever you get in touch with is going to help you out. And, again, there's all the online resources. There's, like, the IRC channel is great for people who are wanting to become a judge, just, you know, lots of people to talk to. Again, the channel can help you in touch. Easiest way to become a judge is find a judge in your area and talk to them, and they can help you. That's basically the long and short of it. If you really wanted to be a judge, wanted to do it on a competitive level like yourself, where you'd like to go to GPs and PTs and culture qualifiers and all sorts of fun stuff, is this like something you could do in a year, two years? What is a window of someone really wants to put their nose to the grindstone, work on weekends at their local events to, you know, work on getting their name out there and so on and so forth. What do you think would be a realistic window? Honestly, uh, it really depends on your region and how many events there are going on, but, like, especially in the States with the uh, Star City Games Open Series and everything, that, those are great opportunities to, to get involved in judging at a more competitive level. I mean, obviously there are PTQs and Grand Prix trials and that sort of thing going on. But um, a realistic window, I mean, assuming assuming you were already, you know, involved in your local store and basically know, know, have the knowledge you need to be to pass your level one test, you know, I, I mean, you can be, I, you mean, you certainly can be, with the changes to the judge program, you can certainly be level one in probably under a month, you know, huh. let's say, let's say, let's say a month and a half to be generous with time here, and then, you know, working at bigger events, again, it depends on the region and how many events are going on, but assuming you can actually, but I mean, assuming there are events you can work at and you can volunteer at and you can get yourself involved with, honestly, the sky's the limit. You can, you can get yourself, I mean, especially if you're somewhere like the East Coast, like, you know, of the U.S., there's so many events going on there and, you know, there's so much happening and, you know, it's, I mean, again, it really is hard to say because, you know, it really depends on the area. But, I mean, I, like I said, I'd never even seen a PTQ two years ago, let alone judged one, let alone judged anything, you know. Um, and yet, you know, here I am, I'm level two, I'm, I guess, you know, reasonably known in the online magic community, at least to some degree. Um 
I don't know. I mean, it you 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 get out what you put in, right? The the judge program, unlike any other thing I've ever seen, is at its heart a meritocracy. You people who put in work get results and get noticed and get. You basically get what you put in, you know. If you put in work, you get back opportunities, you know. Okay. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's hard, to, uh, but I mean, again, you know, depending where you are, you know, you can, you can def- there's definitely something you can do, and you can get involved, and getting involved is obviously the first step, and then go from there. Is it difficult? Now, you described the uh, inability because of, being located in Canada, that it's difficult to get to as many tournaments as you would like to. Right. Could that be something that would prevent someone from getting to where they would want to get to? Um. Well, certainly it would be a hindrance. I mean, but, you know, I mean, someone in, say, Chris's, you know, Chris who's out in Newfoundland, which is, you know, literally about as far from anywhere as you can get in Canada that's not, you know, in the north, um... You know, I mean, certainly there's not a lot of things going on out there, but, you know, like I said, people who are in more isolated regions tend to be given more opportunities to go to the larger events, you know, partially on Wizards or the TO's dime, you know, because the program recognizes that these people in these more isolated regions need the help. And, I mean, certainly, you know, Online is everywhere. The internet is everywhere, and the same resources, assuming you have an internet connection, the same resources are available to you no matter where you are. And you can certainly be involved. I mean, a judge in, you know, New York City, you know, can be just as involved as Chris can be out in Newfoundland. It's not, at least online, so. And a lot of judge development, yes, there's the development that you can only get from working events, but a lot of integrating the philosophy to judging and that sort of stuff only comes from, a lot of it comes from actually discussing it with other judges. You know, and you can do that really well online, and you can, you know, be involved, and, you know, you can write articles, you can, you know, answer questions on Twitter, you can do podcasts, you can do whatever you want, and you can do that all from anywhere there's an internet connection. So, yes, it, it maybe limits your physical options, but, I mean, but even in that case, you know, I it's not too hard to, you know, anyone with any sort of reasonable income, I mean, it's not too hard to give up and go to one or two GPs a year or whatever. And, I mean, that was, that's still opportunities to work bigger events and to develop your skills. And, yes, you have to put more into getting the most out of that opportunity when you're there, but... At the same time, you know, you, you, have, you then have more time to spend actually, you know, working on theoretical aspects of judging as opposed to the practical aspects of it. I don't know. I mean, obviously, isolation is a limiting factor for most anything. But really, you if you're willing to put in the effort, it's not going to hinder you, like, to the point where you can't do what you want to do. What about the big tournaments? Now, you said you submit to be able to do these. Like Grand Prix and, yeah. and stuff? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, now, there's a large pool of level twos, I'm going to assume. Ah, well, overall, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think what the stats are right now. Um, So when you get... Do you submit for everything? Do you submit for some things? What do you try to apply for? Personally or in general? Personally. Okay, well... Personally, I try to apply for everything that fits my schedule because, I mean, obviously I want to be realistic. You know, I'm not, I don't want to burn myself out, but on the other hand, judging is what I love of, and it's, you know, and it's, it's what I want to do with my spare time if I have the opportunity. So, I mean, again, like this coming weekend, I'm... You know, I'm working Friday, then after work I come home and I have, like, a couple hours, and then I'm on a bus overnight to Baltimore so I can judge at Star City the next morning, you know? Um, I mean, and, that, and that's the sort of, I mean, I don't know if I'd call that a sacrifice, but that's what I do so that I can do this sort of thing. I mean, but that that but that's just one, you know, rather, I mean, I've never done the overnight bus thing before, so who knows? Hopefully that'll work out fine and I won't be, like, a zombie, but... Is there different applications to get in the Star City events? Ah, uh, well, it's all handled through uh, the DCI family site, like I said. Um, oh, okay. Like, well, I mean, well, uh, well, Star City uses DCI family. All the Grand Prix use it. All the Pro Tours use it. Okay, well, most of the Grand Prix use it. I think there might be some, like, uh, some, like, Asian ones that don't. I'm not 100% sure about that stuff, but, like... North American ones do. Uh, all the Pro Tours use it. I mean, but it, it's not the site so much. And I mean, even my local PTQs here have started using it. But, I mean, it's more just a tool to manage the applications. Whether or not you get to work the event, that depends on how many people apply and what they need. And, you know, I mean, the needs of the event come first in general. Yes, we want to develop the judge community, but an event that is grossly overstaffed, is not a good opportunity for anyone, you know. Um, people are bored, people are frustrated, they don't get as much out of it. Um, but, I mean, in general, like a pro tour, it depends where it is and what time of year it is, but generally it, it's hard to get into the pro tour. Like, uh, they just released the list of names for people who are working pro tour Philadelphia yesterday. Okay. And, you know, uh, Andy Hecht, who's the judge manager at Wizards, uh, he basically said that for every person who was selected to work the event, there were one... Let me actually find the exact quote here for you. Sorry. Um, uh, stupid thing. Of course, you have to install updates right now. But I mean, basically, something to the effect of: for every judge that was selected, there were there was a judge and a half who was, you know, incredibly qualified but couldn't be selected. You know, uh-huh. and, uh, um, for Grand Prix, I mean, Grand Prix because they're a larger scale. I mean, the thing is, everyone wants to work Pro Tours, right? Yeah. Everyone want a lot of people want to work Grand Prix. Uh, Grand Prix generally, again, depending on location and time of year and everything. Um, people want to, you know, they, Grand Prix more so will accept at least 
the majority, you know, the, the larger majority of people who apply to them. I mean, not necessarily, but, I mean, in general, you you know, applying for a Grand Prix or a Star City Games event, and again, I, I mean, I don't make staffing decisions for these events, and I know that, you know, obviously it's it depends on the needs of the event, but, you know, you're more, if you apply for, you know, a Grand Prix or a Star City event, you know, there's a fairly good chance that you're going to be able to work the event. But, you know, whereas a Pro Tour, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it a lottery, but, I mean, it's more, I mean, because it's, again, like I said, it's meritocracy, basically. I mean, we try to, I mean, they try to give everyone opportunities, but, you you know, they're going to, you know, go over the needs of the event, and, you know, in general, they're going to go for more qualified um, sorry, let me just find this here. Where is it? There we go. Yeah, they're going to go for more qualified judges over, you know, or judges with better... Well, what's the odds of getting to work Worlds? I would hope. I really, 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 really want to go to Worlds, but... Um, and again, in, in gen- uh, let me actually just... I have it right up here. The, okay. the opening, the opening blurb to the email that Andy Hecht uh, sent out with the selection for Pro Tour Philadelphia is just a really good example of things. Um, ahem. Judges are selected to fulfill the needs of the event and program. Selection is spread geographically and by level to fill the roles and responsibilities needed to run the Pro Tour public events and for the development of the judge program through learning experiences, evaluation, and mentorship. The combination of merit based on recent activity, some of which are below, like on this list they have listed, uh, you know, certain, you know, notable things that each of the judges had done, uh, in communities and Sorry, the combination of merit based on recent activity in communities and events spread across the globe. For every judge selected, 1.5 were not who applied. A large number who have deserving reasons in their own right. You know, I mean, that's basically what it, what it is. Um, I mean, in general, your chances, uh, worlds, again, worlds, it's more iffy. I mean... In some ways, I'm disadvantaged for Worlds in that I only speak one language. And, you know, especially at Worlds with, like, the national team competitions, you really need a good mix of languages among judges. Um, But, I mean, on the other hand, you know, I haven't, I've never worked a Pro Tour. You know, I haven't, I've applied, well, Worlds will be the third one I've applied for this year. Like, I applied for Paris and didn't get it. I applied for Philly and didn't get it. Though there's an off chance that if someone can't make it, I mean, I have no idea where I am on the backup list, so I'm not even going to, you know, get into that. But, you know, anyway, I, um, and I mean, in general, they're not, you know, they don't, again, like I said, they try to rotate it. They're not going to send someone to every pro tour unless, you know, that person has a very exceptional set of skills that they absolutely need, right? Um, I mean, again, I, I, I don't know exactly what the metrics are for who gets selected. You know, I, I wish I could put a figure on my chances because I would love to know. But, you know, honestly, I don't know. And, you know, for the most part, I'm just going to keep working as hard as I've been working and doing what I've been doing and doing what I can to do more and, you know, hope that that's enough to get me there. All right. The ability to work at a large event, 
like you just were describing for yep. the Pro Tour or Worlds. Is that a moment for you that all the hard work, all the hours, the mentoring, we'll talk about the podcasting later, the work that you put into this, is that kind of like the ultimate reward? Um, every Every larger event is its own reward, basically. Um... But again, it really, it really depends. I mean, there's, there have been lots of things where it's been, okay, this is the next thing, you know, like, um, you know, after, it, 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 there's not really, I mean, it, it, it's something that I'm very much looking forward to as a next step in my development as a judge. I mean, it's something that, you know, it's like, I want to see a pro tour, you know, I want to be at a pro tour judging it. You know, it's definitely, you know, like, uh, you know, a box that's on my list of things to do as a judge, but it's not, you know, it's like, okay, I've judged a pro tour. I'm good now. I'm, I can stop trying or anything, you know? I mean, every new experience is its own reward in the program. Every new person you meet, every new friend you make, you know, it, it's all worth it in its own way. And, you know, again, I, I really wish that there were be- I had better words for a lot of the feelings I've been trying to express tonight. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, in general, it, it's definitely something I very much want to do and I'm looking forward to achieving at some point. I think the excitement from your tone of voice can indicate that right there. One of the things that when you have a passion to do anything in your life, whether it's being a judge or a podcaster or whatever it is, when you hear that from somebody as a podcaster, it excites you because this is a person who wants to take that next step. Now, is one of your goals to be a level three judge? Ah. I would like, I, I, at least I think it is. I mean, I haven't been a level three judge, so who knows? I might, I might get there someday and hate it. I severely doubt that, but <laughs> I, at this point, yes, I would like to be a level three judge, but that's really not up to me. I mean, in, in, to the point where I don't get to say whether they test me for level three or not. I mean, I can, okay, I suppose I can choose to stay at level two forever, but, um, you know, I don't, like, I'm not like, you know, you're testing me for level three today. You know, I don't get that. I don't make that call, you know. Um, but, yes, I, it's something I'm working towards and something that I hope that I'm, you know, worthy of at some point in the future. Um, Correct that you get recommended to become a level yes. three judge? Yes, you have to be recommended for testing as a level three by a, uh, I can't even remember if it's a level three or higher or level four or higher. But, basically, you have to be recommended by a senior judge. And so, I mean, I know, I know that I have fans in the program among, you know, higher level judges. I don't have supporters, but again, I'm not, you know, vain enough to think that I'm anywhere near ready at this point. I mean, I, I, I haven't even been, you know, a level two judge for three quarters of a year. So, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping maybe I might be ready by this time next year, but honestly, who knows? And, and again, it's not my call. You know, if they, basically, I'm, 
at this point, I am working on improving my skills whenever, however, wherever I can, and at whatever point, then to me and say, you know, Charlotte, we would like you to test for level three at such and such an event. I will, you know, think about it. I will probably say sure, but, you know, I, you know, there's a chance of like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be ready there. How about the next event? You know, but in general, you know, it's not my call, but I'm hoping that, you know, they come to me someday and say, Charlotte, we would like you to, you to test for level three at this event, this date. Do you think that now that you're involved with podcasts and you're allowing yourself to reach another market, there's a very large podcasting community and listeners to podcasts. Sure. Do you think that can only help you on your quest to become level three? Ah, uh, well, it can only help me in getting my name out there. Uh, whether it helps, I mean, I certainly hope it at least helps make people more aware of the program and what it offers and what judges are like. If it gets people more people into the program, that's a great thing. But, you know, hopefully we'll talk about uh, the, the trials I had getting to level two um, in a bit. But, you know, ever since I've been, you know, I'm I've, ever since I got to level two, it's been like, okay, you know, I need to not think about, you know, the next level, I need to think about what I can do to improve myself at the current level and gain the skills I need for the next level rather than just thinking about the number, right? I mean, at this point, back to the podcasting part of it, any anything I can do to help advance the program and help, you know, get more people interested in judging or even just, you know, get more people comfortable in dealing with judges so that we're not necessarily seen as the bad guy or the person who's trying to ruin the fun or whatever is is a good thing with me, you know? So whatever it gets me, it gets me. If I don't unless I I'm making an ass of myself and not realizing it, I can't see how it would necessarily hurt, but you never know. Speaking of not being an ass, I want to bring that up. Uh, a couple nights ago, you and well, most of Horde of Nations joined Manus Crew to do a special podcast regarding Jace and Stoneforge Mystic. Sure. Being right. put in put in its place, if you want to call it. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I disagree that Jace deserves to be put where he was put. But, again, I mean, anyone who's interested in my opinion on that can listen to, you know, that episode. So Your suggestion was, instead of banning it retroactive to next month, that it should have been banned immediately to make it easier on judges. Because even as a judge, the first thing that pops in your head is Jace's banned, Stoneford Mystic is banned. Normally when people get stuff that's removed from their lives, they instantly like store it away and get rid of it. Right. But you're now responsible for Baltimore. Right. And it's going to be there. Right, I'm I'm judging at Baltimore. It's the yeah. swan song for Cobblade, I guess you could say, or yeah. for the current iteration. I mean, who knows? Cobblade may be a deck. It probably won't be a very good deck, but after July first. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's it's a bit awkward. Um, but in general, I mean, you know, it you deal with it the way you deal with it. I mean, on on the same level, like I mean, it, it's not something that most people are going to be aware of, but 
when they update the banned and restricted lists, that's actually, it's not all I wouldn't say it's part of, but I mean, the banned and restricted lists are a section in the Magic Tournament rules, and so when those are updated, they also update, like, the tournament rules and the infraction procedure guide and all the other judging documents on, like, a quarterly basis. So there are some updates in that that I think are really good and whatever, but they're also not going into effect until July 1st. So it's like, well, I, you know, I think that this change that they made to how, you know, they're dealing with deck deckless problems, you know, as of July 1st is really cool. I, you know, I don't know if we're going to necessarily be applying that, but, I mean, it'll be up to, you know, the head judges of the various events, whether they want to use the new system or the old system or whatever. But, I mean, it's just, it's it, it's more just like, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a judge thing, but, I mean, personally, I if, some, if I know that something is changing, I want, you know, once I find out about the change, I want it to just be changed. I don't want it to linger, I guess. But, I mean, again, I mean, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see where things are at in Baltimore this weekend, you know, see how many people are brewing for new standard, how many people are sticking with, you know, Jason Stoneforge, you know, for a last hurrah, or, you know, just to try and perform well until the bitter end, you know? Why would it only be banned in standard and not in legacy, considering how many of the decks it popped up in in that tournament. Sure. Well, I mean, the thing is, it didn't win the event. It only put, what, like, two decks in top eight, which I guess is a large proportion for Legacy. Um, was it two in top eight? I think so. Anyway. But there were um, a lot of the top 64 well, that had okay, it. Sure. I mean, that's also... It was all... I mean, the thing is, it was new technology for Legacy, right? I mean, we haven't seen a huge, huge event, like, on the scale of a Grand Prix you know, since then, to see, I mean, the thing is, you know, unlike in Standard where, you know, Mystic, Batter Skull, there aren't quite as many answers to it. There's a lot of answers to it in Legacy. It's just that the decks weren't running them. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, Legacy is such a huge format that, in general, when it's not some sort of ridiculous engine like, Survival of the Fittest and Vengevine, you know, any sort of good but not necessarily stupidly broken, you know, strategy can be fought reasonably. I mean, you know, I mean, that, that it, legacy is very cyclical. Like, uh, a deck does well, and then other decks start to fight it, and then... You know, the deck does less well, and it sort of sort of turns up and down like that, right? I mean, that's the metagame. So, well, let's let's put you on the spot there. Has there been a card that has been banned that you think might should not have been banned? Now, not including Jace, because you just discussed that, right? <laughs> um, honestly, I really don't know. I mean, um, I'm just trying to think. Questions with survival being banned. I, I agree with the survival ban, like, I mean, because it, it was absolutely dominant. Like, you know, when it when it's put, when there are, you know, six survival decks in top eight of, you know, Legacy Open week after week in Legacy, which is supposed to be this wide open, you know, play whatever you like sort of format, anything can win sort of format, right? Absolutely. Um, 
I mean, you know, that, that was, that was very ridiculous and disheartening. I mean, even more so, I think, than Cawblade in Standard, because Standard has, you know, a much more shallow pool of cards than Legacy does, you know? In Legacy, there should technically be answers for anything. And, you know, sometimes there just aren't, and so that's when they have to ban cards. But honestly, I'd, I mean, again, also, like I said, the, the, the Stoneforge Batter Skull combo is still relatively new to Legacy, so I mean, time will prove whether it's, you know, it can be hated out effectively or reasonably without necessarily skewing metagame. And I, I honestly don't think it's too much of a problem in Legacy. I mean, this is Legacy where... I mean, what is dropping a turn three batter skull in Legacy going to do when your opponent combos you out on, you know, turn three? Like, True. yes, I mean, you know, this is Legacy where turn three combo wins, turn two combo wins, even turn one combo wins are not uncommon. So it's 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 not the same situation at all, I don't think. Um, as for other recent bannings, there really haven't been any of note, and I mean, honestly, I'm surprised that they didn't ban at least Stoneforge in Extended, um, but that, I mean, that makes me more think that they might just be killing Extended and bringing in, you know, Modern or Overextended or whatever you want to call it, that that's, you know, that's more of a topic for Mana Screwed than for here. Let's talk about the judge foils that are given to the judges there. They're shiny. They're shiny. Yes, they are. <laughs> and retailers yeah. pay a pretty penny for those cards because they are rarest of the rare. Is it difficult as a judge to determine, do I want the dollar amount for it, or do I want the cards because they're so unique and so different? Well, I mean, again, it, it, that varies from judge to judge. Me, personally, um, so far I've tended to keep mine, but that's more due to the fact that I've only worked, like, what? I've only worked three events where I've gotten foils. So, I mean, it's still relative to me. But, I mean, I know for a lot of judges, the only reason they can go to some Grand Prix or Pro Tours or whatever is because of the foils, because they can sell their foils to the vendors and, you know, basically pay for their trip that way. And I think that's wonderful. It's, it was a, whoever came up with judge foils was brilliant because it's a way for wizards to spend practically nothing and give excellent value to the judges and, you know, allow them to either have these unique keepsakes or, you know, help finance their travels, you know? And it's a brilliant idea, honestly. There are some absolutely amazing foils in there. When I was in Dallas-Fort Worth and I was getting to see some of these cards, and you stare at them and go, these are just some phenomenal artwork. And it's oh, amazing yeah. that, you know, they were turned in, but... You have to look at it, like you said, from the person who's paying for their trip and from the person who wants to have the cards for their collection. Right. Let's speak of your collection. You said you went back, way back in time with Magic. Right. How many Magic Unfortunately... No. Um, well... 
All right. Let's just uh, say I have a lot of cards. Like <laughs> on my shelf, I have about three dozen fat pack fat pack boxes, all full of cards. Um, three of the big four row white boxes full. Um, a bunch of unsorted booster boxes of commons and uncommons, a um, couple binders, uh, more just strewn about other places in the room. So the desire to play is still there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't judge if I didn't love the game and playing the game. Um, and I mean, again, this is all since I got back in Time Spiral because I really don't have many of my old cards anymore. Uh, I did manage to hold on to my complete alliances set from one, from way back in the day that I collected, but now I don't know where it is, which is annoying. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of cards, and, you know, I probably should get rid of a bunch of the commons and stuff that I don't need, but, you know, I, I love the game, and I just, part of me, I just can't let go of, I mean, I just don't want to get rid of these cards, you know, because it's the game I love. I mean, I wouldn't devote as much time and energy and effort and mental facility to it as I do if I wasn't stupidly in love with this game. So, A new love you have of this game. You've now added podcasting to your growing collection of what you do in the world of magic. Now, we've had you on Manuscrewed. And yeah, right. and it's very nice to have someone say, "Now wait a minute, this That's is right. actually correct." Yes, <laughs> it brings a balance to us, and it always helps. So, sure. glad to have you there. You yeah. also have Sierra's Angels, and now that's yeah. all come together. Yeah, how did that come together, and what's the current status of it right now? Um, well, I I'm not sure where the kernel of it came from, um, but. All I know is that probably, I don't know, I guess about a, would it be a month ago? Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, a few weeks ago, probably about a month ago, um, suddenly I get included in a tweet by uh, MoxieMTG, a.k.a. MJ Scott, um, about people that should be on something. I have no idea what it is. I look back in the conversation, find it's about, some sort of all-female podcast. I think, okay, this is awesome. And so I, you know, say I'm in, you know, and I've just sort of run with it there. I'm the one that came up with the name. Um, I've sort of been, I mean, I'm not going to try and take credit for the whole thing because obviously not. But, I mean, I, I think I've definitely been a factor in pushing for it to actually happen. So I'm not going to not take credit as well. Right. Uh I don't know. I mean, it's it's a great, great thing. We recorded our first episode um, this past weekend. I'm assuming it's being edited at the moment, so hopefully it'll be out sometime this week. Who's in charge of the editing? Uh, Amanda is. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Isn't yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great crew of people, and I mean, it's, hopefully it's going to be somewhat of a rotating cast, because... You know, we had a bunch of people that couldn't make it, and, you know, um, I mean, I'm not going to always be available, you know, to podcast, and I'm sure the other girls aren't. I mean, having, you know, a four or five host podcast, you're not always going to get everyone, as, you know, we obviously know from Man is Screwed. Yes. Um, 
But, I mean, still, having people, you know, having the same people in general week to week makes it good. And we, we I don't know, it's just, honestly, I think one of the things that let Sarah's Angels come together so quickly is just the reaction from the community has been outstanding. I mean, even when it was just an idea, just a name, you know, people are just super excited about it for some reason. I mean, you no one's even an episode of it yet. I mean, the episode was hella fun to record, but I mean, it's not, you know, you have no idea what we talked about. For all, for all you know, we sat around with our thumbs up our butt for, you know, two hours talking about nothing, right? I mean, well, see, that's kind of what I was hoping you were going to give us a little... <laughs> Oh, um, review of the show. I don't know. I mean, in general, God. I mean, it's been it's been a few days since we recorded, but in general, it's just. I mean, we talked about who we are, about being women in magic, briefly. Um, we got into some long meandering conversations about some sort of. MTG cast Halloween costume contest that's happening, and then various angel costumes, and apparently now there's something where all all the people from the cast are going to be dressing up as different angels from Magic for Halloween or something. So I guess there's going to be polls for each host, or I don't know the exact details. The other the other people seem much more into it than I am, but it sounds like fun. Um, I don't know, but it 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 we went longer than we intended. Probably I mean I think it was about an hour. And a half hour, three minutes. I mean, bef- as a recording. So, I mean, it'll probably be less than that once it's edited down a bit. But again, I'm really not sure. But it's fun. I can tell you that it was probably the most fun I've had podcasting. Not that podcasting, you know, on Mana Screwed hasn't been great. But, you know. Um, yeah, in. I don't know. In general, it, it was a great, great opportunity. But I mean, we already have some great guests lined up. I think uh, Megan Holland, aka MTG Mom, is going to be on in not this weekend, but next weekend when we're recording our second episode. Uh, I know John Medina wants to be on. John Medina wants to be on every podcast. Yeah, I guess, but <laughs> has he been on Men of Magic? Yeah. Alright, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We have some great guests lined up. I'm hoping that we can get more, you know, more actual magic women on the podcast. Because if, I mean, not that we're, not that it's about us being women, but, you know, I, the fact is, it's an all female hosted magic podcast. And so, you know, I mean, we want to try and make sure that it, you know, keeps that sort of unique perspective to it. So. And having a unique niche yeah. is something that will draw people, sponsors sure. in. Well, I mean, assuming assuming that we can put out any sort of decent podcast and don't just, you know, pull around for three hours a week talking about nothing. Though, I mean, I'm sure there are podcasts that do that and are popular, so who knows? That would be Manipool? <laughs> I wouldn't know. Oh, Chewy and the guys are great. They just, they have a lot of fun with magic. It's on the casual oh, yeah. side, so. Oh, yeah. Well, again, whatever works, right? I mean, yeah. nothing, I don't know. I'm just saying. I mean, personally, not not that, I mean, I mean I'm obviously not against that. You know, people are supposed to have fun playing magic. Otherwise, what's the point, right? I mean, it's not super serious or anything. I mean, it's a game. At the end of the day, if you're not having fun when you're playing a game, you're doing it wrong, right? Things get worked out, and people are put in the right places. The stuff that you, people don't see you do, like setting up tables to 
putting picking up trash, picking up trash to putting number counts in the right places. To oh, we have an extra 150 players now. Where are we scrambling to find the tables and the covers now? Right. Oh shoot! You know, there's someone stealing backpacks or oh. whatever. Right. Yes, absolutely. The little things that the people don't see that keeps the tournament running smooth for them. That's what I really appreciate. One more thing i got to say is is that they were nice enough in Denver to allow us to have the judge, to have some of the judges meal that they had because they brought in food for the judges at the end of the thing and right. some extras that has come in there. They treat you all like kings and queens. Well, <laughs> especially at that Grand Prix. Grand Prix are really where the community gets together. I mean, pro tours as well, I assume, but never having been to one, I wouldn't know yet. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's Grand Prix are really where we get together and celebrate our community, and it's just, you know, I mean, you know, like, local events are wonderful. You work with all your local judges and, you know, regional sort of events. You may work with a few different ones, but, you know, I mean, Star City events, you get... Few more far flung people, but I mean, Grand Prix are more, you know, like, oh, oh, I haven't seen you in a year. How's it going? You know, oh, you know, well, I've only ever talked to you online before. Oh, I've never even met you. You're from Sweden? That's awesome. You know, whatever, right? I mean, it's just, you know, the thing is, this is a global community and it's a global family, and, you know, these, I mean, it really, I, I know it sounds like, you know, like buzz and like just whatever, but it really is a family. All the ju- all the other judges out there, you know, they're my brothers. They're my sisters. We are a group, you know. United we stand, divided we fall. All of that. I mean, the fact of the matter is, we need to have fun. We need to enjoy what we're doing, and you know, you have more fun doing something with people rather than you know. Not. Like, one thing that I always say, or that I say, have said a few times at least, like, the fact of the matter is, you know, players don't need judges to play Magic. Players can go play Magic on their kitchen table, they can play it at their local store, you know. At the end of the day, TOs could just hire, you know, staff to run an event rather than, you know, having judges there. You know, players don't need judges to play the game. Judges need players to judge the game. So if we're not out there being friendly, being outgoing, making everything a good experience for the players, then we're not doing our job to ensure our survival as judges. So, I mean, take that for what you will, but, I mean, that's at least my philosophy on it, right? Absolutely, and without the players, the judges, the promoters, wizards, and everybody working, we can't make this a go. There's no reason to have it. No, exactly. I mean, without any, I mean, without any one of these those things, the whole intricate, amazing community we have just sort of isn't what it is. But you know, I don't know. The fact that it has developed, I think, is speaks. I don't know whatever about the people. It's just a very unique group. I mean, Magic, I don't know what it is about Magic, but whether it's the players or the judges or the TOs or, 
even just collectors, casual players, but it just, it, it, unlike any other game I've ever seen, it just ha- creates such passion in people, and I think that's just a wonderful thing. Well, considering the fact that we've been talking for the last two months about the fact of, should Stoneforge be banned? Should Jace be banned? Should none be banned? All this leading up to this, and then when it happens, it's like, well, this is not what we wanted, and it's it's the same people that have been complaining about both of them needing to be banned in the first place. Well, like, I think it was Dr. Jeebus that said it, but if Wizards put $100 bills in booster packs, I'm talking about how they were folded, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yep. people need things to complain about. They need their scapegoats, so... <laughs> no, no one. You you can't please all the people all the time, but hopefully the bannings will improve standard until rotation, and then we'll go from there. And I understand where you're coming from on that completely, and it really it's part of the whole experience of magic. Exactly. And I'm going to thank you for your time this evening. You're welcome. You will obviously. You are welcome anytime on Mana Screwed. I have no doubt that the Angels podcast will be phenomenal, and I'm looking forward to it. And for this episode of Meta Magic, as we approach 50 for Robert and Charlotte, we are signing off. <laughs>